Gospel of Luke. I think we're down to just four chapters. I was uh, going through trying to discern, trying to figure out through my chicken scratch which chapters we've touched and haven't touched. And I'm pretty sure we're down to four. And so today we're in chapter 16. We're going to look at Jesus' teaching on wealth and uh, you know, the, the serving of two masters, how that's impossible, and just what he's getting at. So let's, let's pray together, and then we'll pick up in verse 14. Would somebody like to lead us in prayer? Okay, Jeff. Amen. Okay, so picking up in verse 14, and then we'll look a little bit at the context of the whole chapter throughout the the lesson. Verse 14, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fail. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. So the Pharisees are not real, as we you know, see here, they're not real excited about Jesus' teaching on wealth. And that's been pointed out, and I agree, that probably has something to do with the fact that they were wealthy, they saw Jesus as being poor, leading a bunch of poor people, and so really didn't care about what he was saying about wealth. And in doing so, they're really ignoring you know, just how many people in the Old Testament that, you know, really were not monetarily wealthy, but greatly blessed, and also many that were very wealthy and not blessed. And so there's, there's contention here. But I think there's great application for us and just what Jesus is getting at, what he's trying to teach, and using wealth, monetary wealth, as, uh, as an illustration of that teaching. So first of all, we see in verses 14 to 15, that they are lovers of money. And also we see in verse 14 the phrase, they were listening to all these things. What were the things they were listening to? Well, in the previous verses, starting in verse 1, Jesus is using the story of the rich man and his manager. And the manager that was unfaithful, and he was, you know, so he was firing him. So quickly the the manager went out and and, and gathered all all those that owed his master, and he worked a great deal out for them. And the... Uh, the, the master, the, the owner, says, you know, just praises him. Not necessarily because it was a good thing to do, uh, and, and, but, but because he, he says he, for his shrewdness. And so Jesus is using this, this example in a, in a good sense of how the righteous are to also be shrewd in their service to God. Uh, and so in verse 13, we read, and it kind of sums everything up of what Jesus is trying to get across in that story. 
before we go into what he has to say to the Pharisees and their, their dependence, their confidence from their wealth. And so verse 13, a very familiar verse, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word wealth is interesting in the New American Standard. Uh, in the marginal notes, it tells us that it's, it's, uh, it personified is as an object of worship. So and now you know, kind of seeing what the Lord's getting to with this story, what he's wanting to get across. You know, we, we worship that which we think we need and we are dependent on, what we draw our identity from. And so what do they do with this? In verse 14, it's, he says, that as they're listening to all these things, they were scoffing at him. The word here, scoffing, again, uh, interesting, to hold up the noise in derision of, or to ridicule in a sneering and contemptuous way. So this is where it, it's, it can start to get a little uncomfortable for us, where we maybe are, the, the application starts to come on pretty strong. Uh, right away. Um, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. While you're turning there, uh, I have Genesis chapter 21. So we're going to get the context of Galatians 4 by looking at Genesis 21. So we'll go there first. And I've got it up on the screen. Genesis 21 verse 9. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham, mocking. So you know the story. This is where Sarah uh, has had a child, and Ishmael, who is the older son of Abraham, uh, by Hagar, the, the Egyptian slave, is mocking the, the, the son of um, Sarah. Therefore, she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son. For the son of this maid shall not be heir of my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. And there's great application in that verse, but I'm not going to go off <laughs> on that tangent right now. But, but we can identify with that, and we'll see why in a second. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. So we see that Ishmael is mocking. And the word mocking, it means to laugh or to, to play, make sport of. So what's the big deal here? What, why would I have us go to Genesis and, and read this account? Well, Jesus gives us some commentary to help us understand deeper what, what's going on here and how it is applicable to us. In Galatians chapter 4, and in verse 23, we read this, But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. The son of the free woman through the promise. Verse 30, But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. Okay, so he's, he's basically just re recounting the story that we've read. But then 
in verse 31, he says this, So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. We are not products of the flesh, being, you know, being the Lord's, but we are products, we are of the free woman. Part of, we are from the promise. And so when I look at this in light of what we're, the, the passages, passage we're looking at in Luke, I'm left with asking myself a question. Am I living serving the Lord? Because you can't serve, you can't serve two masters. Am I living serving the Lord or scoffing him? How am I living? Colossians 2.8, I tried to get to that verse a little more last Sunday and didn't quite make it. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, according to the tradition of men, the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. What does scoffing look like in today's church? Any ideas? Ridicule? Okay. How do we ridicule? And practically, how does this play out if we're not careful? Pardon me? Okay, it can lead to hatred. It can. Okay. Yeah, yeah, not not really. Um, you know, we this becomes more of a suggestion to us. I was telling Arlene uh, this week uh, that I, I th one of these days I'm going to buy a cheap Bible. <laughs> it's going to be a cheap one, and I think I'm going to I'm going to either preach a sermon or teach a lesson where I just start tearing pages out of the Bible. You know, it just you know we're we're. Because really, that's what we do. You know, I don't, don't really need this. It doesn't apply. And maybe, maybe bring a pen with me and write in or you know, make corrections. Uh, because we can do that. Okay, well, my thoughts with this, you know, how can we, how, how is it, how do we need to guard against this? You know, what are things that we can do that are actually, we're scoffing, we're ridiculing, we're, we're you know, we're laughing at Jesus. Romans 12, 1 is, uh, is a passage that a lot of us know. And th th I think it's, for so many, it can be something that, you know, we just become complacent with. We know it. And uh, we, <laughs> we ignore it. But not necessarily, you know, we become so comfortable ignoring it, we don't realize we're ignoring it. And, um, and I think that's probably the base of what I was talking about last Sunday you know, how the church becomes what the church becomes, how we become what we become as believers. You know, not, not living as we were saved to live. Anyway, 12.1 in Romans says this, Therefore, I urge you. So Paul is, he's really, I mean, he's begging, that you pay attention, I'm urging you. Brethren, so believers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And, you know, something about sacrifice is that it's not convenient. If it was, if it is, then it's not a sacrifice. <laughs> no, but it's costly. To present your bodies 
a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And, you know, we've, we've watered down what worship is, you know, in the, in the modern church to where worship is nothing more than, uh, you know, a group activity that takes about 15 minutes before somebody preaches. Yes, sir. Uh, well, he wants a definition of the word sacrifice. So I think in my mind, uh, I think I kind of said it. I believe sacrifice is something that is costly, not convenient. Would you have one? Um, well, sacrifice in the Old Testament always includes the death of a lamb, mm. the giving of one. Right. So if you can't hear that, what he's saying is in the Old Testament, sacrifice always involved the death of an animal. So the, 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 the giving is what you said? Giving of life. Giving of life, right. The giving of life. And again, and there it was costly because it wasn't just any animal, but it would have been the prized, the, 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 the unblemished, expensive one. Right, that and, and so that is that is that's a good example. It's a good picture for us to see as to what that means for us to live, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, and that is worship. If worship is only our music, if that's our understanding of worship, then we're not worshiping. You know, if we don't know how to worship without music, then we do not understand how to worship. That the, the time of that 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 corporate time music should be nothing more than a reflection of what's going on in our hearts throughout the week. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that ties in with this whole idea of it's costly and there's a giving of life, right? Where when we when we talk about how like there's complacency some of these these gifts that the Lord has given us, right? We, we become familiar and we treat it like it's commonplace because the, the reality is we need that grace constantly and every day. Mm. But that familiarity, it becomes almost like, like riding the bus, right? They're like, I hope I have enough money for the Holy Spirit, right? And we don't, we don't appreciate. We, I, I was reading about Solomon dedicating the temple. And when you read through that and look at how many different ways Jesus has fulfilled these things that Solomon's talking about, and how how jubilant they are that they have a temple for the Holy One of, of the universe to dwell, that they have that opportunity. And then we understand that that is, that is nothing compared to what we have. And they would have been absolutely floored. Mm. And then we go about and we're like, Lord, I pray for this day. I hope that you go with me. And it's not that the words that we speak are false, but our attention is already on the next 20 things. We're like, I wonder how much gas we've got left. And, <laughs> and it's because we have these responsibilities, but it's like it's so often where we miss the eye, especially. I miss the opportunity that as the things of the day kind of press in on that, I don't take them captive. And I don't recognize that all of these little things, these pedestrian problems by paying taxes, are an opportunity for me to take these things before the Lord and say, what do you want? What do you have for me in this right now? And that as that becomes a habit, the way that the Lord works, because he's, he's going to work, right? We don't stop him from working, but we miss the opportunity to participate in what he's trying to share with us. 
And that generates a, a lifestyle that in hindsight is like, wow, that is an incredible person of the Lord because of that humility. And that's something that, that comes with as those pressures in all these small things are, are taken captive and put before the Lord. And then suddenly the significance of what he's doing is already there. And the, uh, the significance of his scripture is suddenly there where we understand it doesn't matter if I don't understand right now why these verses are important. They have come from someone, and I know who they've come from. And therefore, I cherish them, not because I understand how these become convenient and useful to me right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And it becomes less about treating Scripture like a box of tools, where I'm like, okay, if he's going to talk to me, then I'm going to have to have some verse, because I really don't want to talk to him right now. Right? And it becomes more about receiving whatever it is that the Spirit is doing. Mm-hmm. And the sacrifice is more of a response to whatever's happening in the day. And not me saying, I will sacrifice in the following ways, but instead a willingness to give up. And I'm like, what I remember years ago Charlie had said the only the only sane life is a humble life. But but the Lord is faithful to bring about that that humility and yeah. And we're gonna we're gonna talk more about that as we go because there's there's two set those of you who go way back when Bill used to teach, Bill Bushhouse used to teach our Sunday school class, he used to tell us that, you know, he spends his whole, he says, you know, the life in Christ is a narrow path, and there's two ditches on both sides. And he told us that he spends his whole life jumping out of one ditch right into the other, back and forth. So, you know, we need to, so as we're, as we're talking about these things, we need to remember there's, an, there's, there's another ditch that we could easily jump into, you know, to where we, we see you know, we start to see God's grace as nothing more than a toolbox. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so, what, so, so we see we can't serve two masters. What is the, what is the confidence then of the, um, of the Pharisees that, that Christ is, is pointing out that is such a problem? Those of you that are just coming in, we're in uh, Luke chapter 16. Well, let's look at 15. So here, Jesus says, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. So what's going on here? Well, they're they're justifying themselves, which means to show to be righteous, to declare righteous. So they're declaring themselves righteous, proclaiming that I am righteous, but how so? What's the... What is the, 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 their, their confidence of this? Justifying yourselves. The Pharisees' basis for justification was themselves. Well, there's, you know, Scripture has a problem with this. We find in Romans 7, 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. I've often been, you know, I've often, in reading and thinking on this verse, I've been so thankful that Paul, who said, for me to live is Christ, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, you know, I, I, I strive and I labor according to his power, which works mightily within me, I'm so thankful that the same man said, there's nothing good in me, that there's a, there's a battle, there's a fight going on. I am very thankful that he, he took the time to tell us that. Go to Titus chapter 3, another familiar passage for us. Titus chapter 3. And I'm going to begin in verse 5. 
So again, familiar passage, Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're starting to see something here that self-justification is such, <laughs> is such a waste of energy and time because anything that is good, being a believer, has got nothing to do with me, there's nothing good that dwells in me. Based on the, it's nothing based on the deeds that I have done in righteousness, but what he poured richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. But that's what's going on here. Their, their confidence is self-justifying. What they have been able to do. And then... How do they gauge it, this self-justification? How do they gauge it? According to our verse, back in, uh, in verse 15, it's gauged on how they're seen, the outward, in the sight of men. Their justification was how they were seen by fallen men, an outward appearance. And Galatians 1.10 tells us this, for... Am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? You know, we talked about that a little bit last Sunday, didn't we? You know, when we were looking in Colossians, that the whole basis for, you know, the, the whole seeker-friendly movement is what is what does man expect from us? What does man want from us? And then we, you know, we, we saw how really what's happening now, it fits right into this lesson, what's happening now our worship becomes not God, but man. Am I seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant. Can't serve two masters of Christ. And so what does he say to them? Your dependence is yourself, but here's the deal. God knows your hearts, he tells the Pharisees. What's inward. And wow, is scripture just so clear about this. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. See the sacrifice? You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Matthew 5.8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. John 14.27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And then Acts 8.37, and, and you may know that 
There's little controversy over this verse because it's not found in the older manuscripts. So that being a fact, uh, you know, how do we deal with it? I think worst case scenario, we're, we're seeing what the early church believed and taught. And so what is found, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then finally, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God, and within the context here, you know, the, the, the book of Hebrews starts out, God spoke. And so, and, and we see that, and it says that he spoke long ago through the prophets in many portions, many ways, but in these last days has spoken to us in his son. And then we come to chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God. Christ is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. One question that I have asked professing believers through the years is this, and I've asked a lot of our students this question. Are you a Christian? They'll, they'll come to me sometimes and they want to, you know, they want to talk about these things that are going on. And so I'll ask that question, are you a Christian? And it usually provokes a shocked response. You know, Why would you ask me that? And then they will often say, well, yes. And then my next question is, and as soon as that yes comes out of their mouth, I'll hit them with the next question. Uh, how do you know? Are, are, yeah. are you a Christian? Yes. How do you know? And then they just really, oh. And, I, you know, there's been interesting answers with that. One specific one I, I remember sitting in my office. The young lady comes in really troubled. I asked her the two questions, and when I asked her, how do you know, her response was this. Well, uh, and it was like that. It was a panic. Uh, my, my parents are Christians. And uh, I, I go to church and I, I read my Bible. And not going to get off on that story, but just because I know some of you are going to want to know how that ends, she became a believer. Okay. <laughs> now, this, what are... What are other ways that if we're not careful, we can end up justifying ourselves? What, what are some things that can, you were, you were touching on some of it, but, but what, what, how can we do this? This is the other ditch now. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. Thank you. 
Anybody else? Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of what this, this girl was getting at with me. Well, I go to church. I read the Bible. You know, we can, you know, there's, there's, there's a, if, we're not eat, if we're not careful, we can jump into that ditch. You know, so far to the right that, you know, I do this and I do this and I do this. And our confidence, what, it, all of a sudden, without realizing it, it it's self-justifying. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. But I think also to understand, like the root of that is that even for an unbeliever, like having been created by the Lord, we have that purpose to receive Him, and we have a desire to believe right. We don't always know what that is, especially if it's based in, in my opinion, versus submitting that to the Lord. And for a believer, we still have a desire to be pleasing to the Lord. But then we go off on wanting to have the assurity. Well, am I pleasing to the Lord? Mm-hmm. Well, how do I know? And then we try to measure. Yeah. And so you have this desire to, to be correct and to be right and to be righteous. But then we go and find ways that I can be satisfied instead of living by faith, which is the whole problem. Well, I come down to comparing myself to others around me yeah. and when we're supposed to be comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys are reading my notes. <laughs> we have a desire to be right. Do we have a desire to be right, or do we have a desire to be fair? Or Because I feel like that's in, in the book of Job and in the chapter 40, it, it seems like I think the demons are very much the self, the, the, the self, this, it's a focus on um, self-reliance or protecting ourselves, or somehow, uh, I think it's justifying ourselves, you know, in essence. And I think that's a strong desire. I don't know that we're, our desire is necessarily to be good. I think it's to be safe. I think it's, it's all an expression of the same thing, right? Where that the, um, the desire for righteousness, right? It, there's, there's a, I, I think there's a, a natural understanding there. There's righteousness and safety combined, like it, it produces rest. But then the problem is, is that oftentimes believers and non-believers will pursue something that's a byproduct of rest yeah. and the byproduct of Jesus. Right. And they'll say, well, Kelly reads his Bible, so if I do that, then I'll, like rest will, co- I will cause rest by, I will cause safety by, I will cause righteousness. And that's where comparisons are. Yeah. I, I think in the deep, deep inside human human nature, which is part of the sin nature, is is the desire to be safe. I just don't know. I think it's that we usually want to do that ourselves. We don't want to trust God enough. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think things go awry. And that's th- this is what I'm I'm wanting us to get to get at here. 
is, you know, why are we so uncomfortable living by faith serving Jesus compared to living by faith in me? Right. I think I think because this is tangible. This, I, I have all the, the boxes to check off this way. You know, I know as a, as a child growing up, uh, the, the, the church that we went to, uh, they would give us these little offering envelopes. And there was all these little boxes to tick off. And, you know, and, and they, were, they were things like this, you know, giving. Oh, I did that. Check. Bible brought. Here it is. Check. Bible read daily, check. And, you know, sometimes I lied. <laughs> because I didn't, want the, I didn't want the people sitting next to me not to see all my boxes che checked. But don't worry, I always confessed that. So. But, you know, so, but, but, but my point being is that, you know, okay, we, we get so wrapped up in this, okay, I... I if I do this, and I do this, and I do this, okay, I'm okay. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, 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 it, and it might, for a brief second, bring some relief, but it's not a lasting. It's not a life. And it's, and it's really, that's not a life of faith. Any thoughts with that? And doesn't that kind of remind, it does me, remind me of the original sin, you know, because God knows the day that you take thereof, you will be like him. We were created in his image. But now all of a sudden there's that, that, that thought presented that, and the way we can do that is right here. I can do that. And, and that's, I think that, that, that you're right. I think this is at the root of the, of the whole issue, the whole problem, is that we're either going to live dependent on me or dependent on Jesus. And we find that Paul tells us just because you're saved, because you've placed your faith in Christ, does not mean that battle is over. And, but the answer is the same, right? Last week, Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And we need Jesus. I've told you guys this story before, but it's such a good one, and it doesn't involve me, so I want to tell it. Uh, but it involves Arlene and Lauren. You know, that, that Lauren, Ar Arlene was, you know, she, she with, all, with the girls that she has discipled, and 
And with our two girls, one of the phrases that she's known for is, you need Jesus. And so, you know, some of these people will come to her and they go, well, I have him. No, no, you need him. You still need him. As you have received, so walk. And so Lauren and Arlene, Arlene homeschooled the girls. And, and uh, there was, you know, because mom becomes the teacher, those of you who are in the homeschool world, you know that that can become, <laughs> when mom becomes the teacher, it can become a very hostile <laughs> encounter. And Lauren and, and, and uh, Arlene would sometimes get into it. And this was one of those times. And they were in the hallway at the front door. And Lauren is adamant that she is right. And Arlene's not going to back down. And so they're going at it in the front hallway. And Madeline says it was quite hot. It was heated. Lauren was about 12 years old. And finally, Arlene pulled the trump card out and said, Lauren, you need Jesus. And Lauren, through her tears, looked up and said, Mommy, you need Jesus too. <laughs> and Arlene said, Lauren, you're right. Let's go to Jesus together. And really, you know, is, is, is that not a great illustration of, of what the encouragement to one another should be, but then also what this life should be? I need Jesus. I need Jesus on the good days as much as on the bad days. I need him more so on things I understand than, than maybe things I don't, maybe. You know, maybe it's a bad way of saying it, but you know what I'm trying to say. Father, 
for the power of your Holy Spirit, which guides me and protects me in my daily life. And that's a faithful sacrament. And it's not the ultimate sacrifice every human being, I believe, can make is to sacrifice our own personal will because he gave us free will to turn that over to God's will because he, he has given a special gift to each and every one of us and it's up to us to obedience in God thanking God for another day of life and a daily life and the Lord's prayer says one of the first words in the Lord's Prayer that really hit me in between the eyes. And I guess I was in my 30s at that time. And there was a vision with a group of people. And after our talk, we held hands and said the Lord's Prayer. And the first words in the thing was our Father. And you know, prior to that, I'd always said that, and I mouthed that word, I was really saying, okay, God, you and me against all you out here. But the thing is, it, it is our Father, and we're all brothers and sisters in the eyes of God. No one's better than we are. No one is more righteous than we are. We're just us trying to struggle on a daily, and we ask God for our daily bread, and he's been giving it to me. There was a period in my life where I didn't get my daily bread. But that's another time. So I just surrender to God. Thank you. That, as you were talking, it reminded me of a, a mentor of mine who's gone to be with the Lord, uh, Bob Hobson. Some of you know, the, know him. He used to tell us every day, I jump out of bed and drop dead. Father, this is your day. Where are we going? Was there something you wanted to say? Um, if we worship the way of self-righteousness, where are they going to get from us what they need? Right. We are dependent on His righteousness. And God sees us through His righteousness. Mm. And how do we get righteousness? And how do we get righteousness? If we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and if we believe that He died, so, again, both of you, you know, this dependence upon him daily by faith in Christ. All right. And how we treat each other. And it should play out in how we treat each other. Yeah. Loving neighbors as yourself, the second most commandment, most important commandment. sons and my daughter interchange and just getting along with one another. And that's the greatest pride that I can have. I don't, I'm not proud. I'm a, not a proud man. I looked up Sean Concordance and I looked up pride. 
Kevin, would you lead us in prayer? Father, I thank you that you are the source of our salvation and that uh, you are the source of our security and that it's not based on what we do, 